Welcome to the Between Sundays podcast from Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Four Corners exists to help people find and follow Jesus, and we envision a church of everyday missionaries living with gospel intentionality wherever we live, work, and play. All right, welcome back, guys. Another installment of our Between Sundays podcast. Uh, It is Janet, Michael, and me today. Day we got our kids off to school. First, whoop, whoop. Uh, can be excited about that. So great. <laughs> so, were your kids excited to go back to school? Um, only one of them has gone back so far because Cassidy's leaving for college, and that's like a whole another range of emotions. But Sean was excited to go back. Were you excited to have Sean go back? Um, I was in a sense, but it's always kind of bittersweet. Like, I have mixed emotions. Like, I'm ready for, like, the routine that school brings and, um, like, the break from him um, that school brings. But then I miss having him around and I miss, like, the carefree days of summer. My kids were, they have mixed emotions. They they like to say that they're not excited. I just think they're nervous to go back more than anything. I think they actually like it. They always come home like, oh, you know. And are ready to share about their day and things. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are this morning. How about you guys? Yeah, I think those little meet and greet things that you can do with the teacher a few days before help a lot. Because mm-hmm. the kids are back and they're walking through the hallways and they're seeing their friends and they remember how much fun they were having during the school year. I just know for me, like when I'm walking up to the school bus with the girls that first day, or Cole's in junior high now and so he's in a different school and he left at a different time this morning but when i was walking up with the girls to the school bus i was like (sighs) and it's not even because my kids are aren't around for a particular period of time it's just like the lack of order to summer just drives Mm -hmm. me nuts like i get in a nice routine in the school year i know when people are here when people are gone i know when to get to work when to be back everything just feels like it's in its right place during the school year and the summer just feels like this giant mess of three months of chaos and so i'm just glad to get back to the order and to snuff out the chaos so i thrive on routine so summer is hard like we're going to the pool like if i go to the pool i have to be there at 11 when they open and Mm -hmm. like i just need that that routine that i know what to expect so Speaking of routine, <laughs> that was a smooth segue, wow, Dave. I should say, speaking of a big mess, uh, <laughs> getting back into the book of Judges. So, uh, we have been journeying as a church through uh, the book of Judges, and a major theme through the series has been that God is faithful. Uh, we see that in the Judges cycle, that um, even despite Israel's kind of unfaithfulness and they continue to kind of turn to idolatry, God remains faithful. He keeps raising up these judges. Um, And so we've been using that term a lot, that God is faithful. And I thought maybe we could start out today just by talking, what do we mean even when we say things like that? Like, what does it mean that God is faithful uh, to us today? And what does that not mean? Um, Because sometimes I think we use words and it can be dangerous if you don't explain what we mean. Um, Yeah, I mean, when I think about it, I just, uh, I'm thinking about the whole scope of the Bible and um, essentially it meaning that God uh, is who he says he is and does what he says he's going to do. Mm. Um, and looking at it from my perspective, very often, any of the times in my life where I have 
felt like God wasn't faithful or I've wondered about God's faithfulness, it's because I've had my own expectations about what I wanted, mm-hmm. what I expected to happen, how I thought life was going to go. Um, and there's a, there's a well-known phrase that expectations are just kind of resentments waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, if my expectations aren't based on who God says he is and what he says uh, he's going to do, uh, what he's promised to me, um, for his glory and for my well-being, then, you know, a lot of times I'm going to feel like God isn't faithful. Mm. Um, but we kind of see the opposite here in Judges when it comes to God's faithfulness. We see God being pretty clear about who he is and what he wants his people to be. And um, I can imagine that maybe there are some times where people feel like God isn't being faithful to them because he's not uh, delivering them the way that they want to be delivered in the time frame that they want to be delivered with the people that they want uh, to be delivering them. But God has his own time frame and his ways of doing things. And uh, his faithfulness is determined by those, not by our uh, human assumptions of what that should be. Yeah. And sometimes I think we forget, like these people were being oppressed by foreign nations for multiple years. I mean, some of them like up to 18 years of oppression and things like that, where th- 18 years is a long time. I mean, they were they were being oppressed, tortured, and different things. Um, that's hard. And to sit in that and to think, oh, yeah, God's faithful. I'm not sure many people would be able to say those statements when they're in the middle of it. Um, and yet, as you kind of back up and see from God's perspective um, that that oppression was not caused by God, but it was a result of their own sin and unfaithfulness that God allowed these four nations to do that as a matter of discipline. I don't think we tend to think about um, the hardships in our life as God's discipline or God allowing these things to take place to so that we turn our hearts back to him. I think in a lot of times we blame God for mm-hmm. the, the stuff that goes wrong. And then therefore we say, well, he's not faithful because this is happening or that's happening in my life or this person you know, is sick or died and my, my life's not perfect, but God never promises a perfect life. And I think that's, that's the key thing is like, what has God actually said that he's going to be faithful to? Um, I like how you said it. God's faithful to who he says he is and what he says he's going to do. I think that's a good, good thing to think about. Yes, Dave, that is a, (laughs) that is a very good point. Uh, I think it's easy, like you were saying, though, to be say God is faithful at, when things are going your way. Um, but when sometimes God's answer is no or we live in a sinful world and things happen, um, I think that's when sometimes I struggle to see or feel like God's faithful because it's not the way I want it to be. And But then when I look in hindsight of things that I prayed and I um, asked for that God just said, no, like this is going to happen or this isn't going to happen. Like in when I look back, that's when like I think I had the closest communication with God Mm. because I was in a point of despair or where I couldn't rely on myself. Um, And it's cyclical because (laughs) then things get better and then I'm like, oh, I'm self-reliant. And then, like, God is faithful and then something goes wrong and I'm like, oh, God. Um, So I think it's sometimes hard. Um, I looked up the definition of uh, faithful um, and was just curious what the dictionary definition is. And it's loyal, constant, and steadfast. And I think that, you know, in those terms, uh, that's that's God. Um, It doesn't say, like always gives you exactly what you want. Um, 
But even though um, sometimes we go through painful periods that God is still loyal and he's still constant and he's still steadfast and, um, you know, has a plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we see when we see God, like you just read in that definition, we see God be faithful to who he is and what he said he's going to do. Um, it doesn't always feel like it from our perspective. It doesn't feel like faithfulness because... Faithfulness, I feel like we view very much in the same terms as freedom. Mm-hmm. Like we have a very self-focused, individualistic view of what that means. Freedom for me means I get to do whatever I want. And that's not what freedom actually means. That's right. not what God means by freedom. When God is setting us free, he's setting us free from all of the ways that um, we aren't what we were meant to be, what we weren't created to be. And even in a, mm-hmm. just in a cultural sense, uh, one of the most uh well-known definitions of freedom is having the ability to do what you ought to do, not Mm -hmm. the ability to do whatever you want to do. Right. Um, And we do the same thing with freedom. When we are individualistic, we're self-focused. We think through God's faithfulness um, is best seen when uh, I accomplish everything I want to accomplish and I'm given everything I want in the time frame that I want it. Um, And that's just not the Bible's picture of faithfulness. The Bible is is very clear that God is faithful to everything that he says he is going to do with the people of Israel um, and with us through Jesus and everything else. Um, But it looks very different than probably we would assume it was going to look. Mm. Um, And that, that isn't just based on our definition of faithfulness. It's based on our definition of what is love, what is freedom? What does it mean for um, God to be good? I mean, all these questions are wrapped up in faithfulness that if we have a human definition of all those terms, it can be, very easy to see God as not loving and not good and not faithful. But if we view God based on his own definition in terms for who he is and what he wants to accomplish through us, then um, even in a, in a tough story like the book of Judges, you can see all the ways that God still is faithful, even though people don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he keeps raising up these judges. We looked at um, this past week, the second part of Gideon's story. Um, Gideon, I mean, you think of like he's and the author of Hebrews talks about how faithful Gideon was and full of faith and courageous this guy was. But the beginning of his life is anything but that. And yet God kind of makes them, makes him and grows his faith and gets him to a point of relying on not himself, but on God. And then does this kind of incredible thing by whittling down the army and, you know, our army of 300 takes out the Midianites and, they're like 120,000. So it's just a crazy story of, of God kind of clearly uh, leading them and giving them, granting them victory over these um, Midianites who have been oppressing them. And then, um, unfortunately, uh, what we saw this past week is Gideon kind of spoils. Like it, um, the back end of his life is kind of tragic, and um, he ends up kind of ruining Um, his ministry, his kids leading the nation of Israel kind of into idolatry, just kind of ends up being kind of a mess. Um, And so kind of in your own words, as you kind of think about the back end of Gideon's story, um, what do you believe was like his downfall? Where did he go wrong? I think um, he kind of went wrong because he instead of giving glory to God for what happened I think because he did have such great success and it was such a miraculous victory that um he kind of got it went to his head 
uh, I think he, instead of uh, remembering uh, that this was God's doing and God specifically designed this with such few um, people in Gideon's army that it could not be mistaken mm -hmm. for our human power, but it had to be his victory. I think that Gideon um, started to think of it as his own victory and started to kind of make himself his own God. And, and the way he did that, I think, bears a lot of uh, resemblance to how we often do that, at least as people who, you know, would say that we're churched or people who go to church or people who profess Christ is that we know all the things to say, <laughs> mm -hmm. but our actions don't often match the things we say. So when you were preaching, I remember you talking about how with his words, he's saying, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be a king over you. Mm -hmm. But with his actions, mm -hmm. I'm going to. You know, I'm going to put on the ephod. I'm going to set up a, a second place, uh, an alternative place to worship. And so with all of his actions, he's setting up, yeah, deep down, I'm the king of these people. Yeah. I deserve this. I've had so much success. This is how I should use my power to lead the entire nation astray, to lead his family astray. Um, I think we do that. And it might not be that I put on a, a golden ephod or anything like that. Liar. I'm, I'm, a, I'm wearing one right now. <laughs> we can see you. <laughs> but I, th I think we do that often. I think we tell people things with our words like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm totally generous with my time. I'm totally generous with my money. Um, I'm going to be available and faithful to take care of people and meet needs or um, yeah, I spend time with Jesus or yeah, I'm following Jesus. We, we say the words we know what we're supposed to say in these uh, congregational community kind of contexts, but then we get into our in individual lives and our actions don't show it. Our actions show that, yeah, we think we deserve this. Yeah, I, I deserve this new thing, or I deserve to be treated like this, or I deserve to be uh, to expect this promotion from my job, or um, I deserve to have people value me, or all those things. We it creeps up in our heart. We have we go through the same sin cycle as the judges went through, as Gideon went through, as um, the people of Israel went through. And um, so we shouldn't look at these stories as, wow, how, how is it that you went from a, a coward who won a battle with hardly any people to all of a sudden making yourself the king over a nation? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I do that in little actions every single day. It's not so strange to believe that Gideon would do that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we do it without realizing it. Like, um, I think that word deserve is, is really key because I think, you know, we experience success or we think we work hard or whatever, and we just think we deserve recognition, attention, material blessing, whatever it is. Um, and that can really lead us to bad places spiritually whenever we begin to think we're like you said, like it went to his head that we're all that. Um, all of a sudden, I stop praying to God. I stop relying on him. I start just thinking, well, I can do it, or I've got this, or and uh, and that can lead us to bad places. I think you see that in Gideon's life for sure. You start believing the lie of that that there are self-made people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure at this point and at, at the end when Gideon's spoiled, he feels in his mind when he's looking back that he accomplished all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, that he made himself into who he is, and um, that's just, I think, a very common people, a uh, common problem for people in our culture is to think, well, yeah, I did this, I deserve this, I accomplished this, I've worked hard. There's no such thing as a self-made person, especially as a Christian. Mm -hmm. As a Christian, you should be the last person in the world to say that I'm a self-made anything. You're a Jesus-made everything, mm -hmm. um, and so 
can it can be easy to fall into the trap of being a Gideon. I know for myself, but you wonder if Gideon at the end of his life even realized it, like that how far he had drifted from God. Like there's no indication from the story that he ever kind of comes to self realization that hmm, maybe this golden ephod was a bad idea. You yeah. know, like <laughs> um, there's just no indication of that. He made it, and um, people, and it just, and then he dies. You know, at the end, and so. You wonder if in the end Gideon looked back on his life and said, wow, look at all I've done, you know, and was almost proud of it. Um, But from our context, we're able to see it kind of through God's lens as you read this story and how far he took the nation of Israel. This is the first judge who led the people into idolatry Um, everywhere else. You know, the judge delivers them and then there's a period of peace until that judge dies and then the people go back into idolatry and yet Gideon kind of unknowingly he um, cut off the middleman <laughs> yeah just leads them right back in it um and so it's it's tragic and the book of judges continues to get kind of more messed up as we move through it um and you definitely probably look at his children mm-hmm. the mess of children that he had mm-hmm. and you know like you said we don't have any answer that he you know, returned or had some sort of self-awareness or realization, I think you could probably look at his kids and maybe say, yeah, they're probably the best evidence that maybe he didn't. Like, mm-hmm. you have that whole mess of kids that Abimelech ends up killing mm-hmm. who don't want anything to do with leading leading mm-hmm. the nation of Israel nation in a way of, that, yeah. that God wants them to. And the one person who is willing to do it is even worse mm-hmm. and kills all of those people who don't want any part of it. And so... Um, obviously not in every case are you able to look at someone's children and assume that they got all of that from their parents, but taken in conjunction with the fact that we don't see any turn in Gideon's life before he dies. I think there's a, there's a pretty good implication there that, Mm -hmm. yeah, you basically led these people to be who they were even worse failures than you were. Mm -hmm. No doubt. And to think about like, you know, Gideon led them into, back into idolatry and yet his son Abimelech leads them into well becomes the oppressor you know that um, for the first time now you have kind of a self-made judge or a king who kind of rose up through his own power and by eliminating all his brothers and anointing himself king and then he ends up being the very oppressor of the people so they have to be delivered from themselves, um, which is the first kind of pattern and indication that like our issues are not really just foreign oppression in situations, but it's our own sinfulness and our own heart. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big lesson there. So the whole thing points to a greater need than just a political leader or savior of that kind. Um, but we need kind of a spiritual savior. And that points all the way back to the conversation we've been having since the beginning of the year with some of this everyday missionary stuff when we were going through fruit to root exercises. Mm-hmm. So often what we experience in our life as some sort of negative or awful thing is the fruit of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kind of oppression and pain and violence that we see here is the fruit of a bad root in mm-hmm. the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to walk that back to what your heart condition is, what your health condition is as a nation, but as individuals or church congregations, you have to do the same thing sometimes Mm -hmm. as a person. If you're going through this kind of oppression, you're in bondage to some sort of sin or you're experiencing something, obviously not every situation, sickness or job loss or, you know, poor finances or anything else is a 
result, a direct result of sin, but there are plenty of emotional and physical and um, relational experiences that we have in our lives that are fruit of a bad root, and we have to walk those things back um, and figure out what we're believing poorly about God. Um, Because it's not God being unfaithful in those situations. If anything, the fact that he's allowing us to experience that is a type of faithfulness on his part. He wants us to to see those fruits and to walk them back to uh, a right relationship with him again. Yeah. Sin always begins with a failure of belief in some way. And so what are we failing to believe about God? What are we failing to believe about ourselves in that moment of who we are because of what God has done? At what point have we kind of misstepped? Um, Because the gospel doesn't produce things like pride and arrogance and everything else, selfishness. Golden ephods. Yes, golden (laughs) ephods and murdering 69 of your brothers and crowning yourself king and everything else. So, um, yeah, it's it's a tragic, hard story, but it's a story that there's a lot that we can pull from and kind of um, because it it's in some way reflects who we are, um, that we all kind of crave glory and we crave um, attention and recognition. And you see that in Gideon, you see that in Abimelech, um, and I think we see it in ourselves as well. And so the Christian's duty is to surrender all and um, by faith, hopefully lift up our God in worship. So hopefully this has been encouraging as we've kind of chatted through Gideon and Abimelech. Again, if you've got any questions or thoughts. Um, I have a saying. Or a saying. You can say it now or you can text it, Janet. No, I'm not going like to text it. Everyone can't hear <laughs> I'm just it. Joking. There's no I in Jesus. That's right. Feel free to use that. That's grammatically correct. That right. Is, that is correct. <laughs> and it's gospel correct. Did you just make that up on the spot? I totally did. (laughs) It's all downhill from here today, guys. (laughs) I've spent it all up. Right. Maybe that was a spirit. We will have to talk. But there is an I in spirit. There is. Well, anyway, you can text your thoughts. Um, If you have other phrases that are uh, like that and you want to share with us, you can text them to uh, 630-489-3233. We'd love to hear them. Uh, You can also email us anytime. So uh, we will see you in a couple weeks. Adios. Amigos. (laughs) We're the three amigos. This has been an episode of the Between Sundays podcast from Four Corners Community Church. For more information on our faith family, you can follow us on Facebook or visit us on the web at fccc.church.